Welcome to this special and last episode of this season of Branch 251, which comes only a few days after the first anniversary of the opening of the trial in Koblenz of Anwar R and Iyad A for crimes against humanity that they are accused of having committed during their time in Syria. For this last episode, I am joined by the entire team of Branch 251 for us to talk about this remarkable year, to talk about some of the episodes that we have produced and what may be coming next and how we feel about it and how we have felt about the the trial and our work on it from the beginning until today. And I guess we can start by talking about the pre-trial period, the period when we um, you know, did not yet know that there would be a trial in Koblenz against those two individuals um, under something that's called the universal jurisdiction. And I would want to pose this, this question um, maybe first to Fritz. Um, Fritz, did you see this trial coming? I mean, you know, from from the work that I had been doing on Syria accountability um, for a few years before it, I, I knew that there was a lot of work uh, that had been um, already had been done in in terms of criminal case building in European countries, definitely with an emphasis on Europe. Um, I think that German federal prosecutor had started a structural investigation into crimes committed in Syria in 2011. And we knew that many civil society organizations, including Syrians, um, had been um, collecting evidence and and uh, and filing complaints in Germany and and other countries, including France, for example, as well. So I I think we we all uh, working in this field um, had an idea that soon a, a, a case like this may uh, may come about, an arrest may be made, and a trial may may start, um, but that it would be uh, those two individuals and that it would be in Koblenz, that um, that was definitely, I, I would even say that was quite unexpected um, from, from my perspective, yeah. Given the fact that you you are the person who started this, this uh, podcast, um, can you place a moment in time when you, you first had this idea about this project? Well, you know, the, the two were arrested in February 2019, um, so a good year before the trial started. And honestly, it was only in probably early April 2020 that, so just a few weeks before the the, the trial started, that I had this idea. Um, I knew this trial was coming. I knew it was going to be the worldwide first um, regarding crimes against humanity committed in Syria and that it was going to be historic in that way. Um, but uh, this idea for this podcast just came to me on a, well, I don't know, on a random Tuesday or something. All of a sudden, I, I thought, you know, let's let's make a trial podcast. <laughs> and as far as I understand, you'd been interested in in the subject of podcasts in general yeah. for some time now. Yeah, right? exactly. So I, I I was actually waiting for a topic to make a podcast on for a while, and then it just um, came together like that. Noor, I want to jump quickly to you and and see uh, whether also you have um, had seen this trial coming. I know that there were news about the arrest of the two individuals, uh, and that was quite popular at the time. But not everyone necessarily uh, was able to foresee that a trial was going to start. Yeah, to be honest, I had the same sense as Fritz, which was I was very aware of civil society efforts to document information, to try and work toward 
developing cases against different individuals to try and think about what avenues were available through universal jurisdiction. So I saw some trial coming. I knew that this was something that was going to be coming up, but this trial in particular, I definitely didn't see coming and wasn't conscious of until the news broke. I'm like you. I remember the time when um, news of the arrest, especially of Anwar Ara, was um, being talked about by everyone, especially in, in the journalism circles that I was a member of. And um, I, I found it fascinating news from the beginning. And um, they had discussions with several people about it, but didn't necessarily uh, manage to imagine where that would lead specifically, especially given that I actually... Um, only through this trial did I learn about universal jurisdiction and how it works. But before, I couldn't really imagine how um, that could, you know, Germany or any other country could go about such a process. Um, staying with you, Noor, what were your expectations for justice mechanisms? I think, like I said, I was very conscious that a lot of Syrian civil society organizations had been working toward documenting information that could be used in future justice processes. And I was aware that people were trying to identify methods of, of developing cases through universal jurisdiction in particular. Um, I think my expectation was that this kind of thing would happen, but I, I didn't quite expect for such a trial to happen now. Um, obviously, it's a welcome step. Um, and I think what's so great about it is that this trial is really after this trial came out, you start hearing so many more, you start hearing a lot more about other civil society actors, Syrian organizations, international human rights organizations, filing complaints uh, regarding universal jurisdiction cases for war crimes or crimes against humanity that happened in Syria. And I think that's a really exciting result of this trial. Um, but in terms of expectations, I didn't really expect anything to happen so soon. I sort of thought of uh, justice in the Syrian context um, being delayed a bit more. And so it's definitely welcome that this, it was unexpected, but welcome. And, you know, uh, Noor, uh, sorry to jump in here, but um, as you were talking, I was just thinking, you know, maybe one reason that um, some of us were thinking that that justice would still be delayed a little bit is is that um, the regime, you know, was, was so, uh, was increasingly uh, safe in its position in power. And, um, Starting concrete uh, justice mechanism steps like like a criminal trial in in a different country while a, a criminal regime is still in power is of course um, a very a very complex and, and difficult endeavor and maybe and maybe that's why we we didn't expect it to to happen when it happened but um, I agree with you it's it's definitely um, marked sort of a milestone of of um, yeah of, of a new phase in in the search uh, for justice and accountability for crimes in Syria. Yeah, Fritz, I think that's exactly right. I think from my from my perspective, that's exactly why I I didn't foresee steps towards justice taking place in the present moment because the regime was was like you said so comfortable in its position and. Obviously, that doesn't mean that um, people affiliated with the regime can't be prosecuted, but it definitely limits what can be done. Noor, I can imagine that when you first heard about this trial, it wasn't only um, purely technical, legal thoughts that came to your mind, but there might have been something else as well. Um, could you remember what, what, what first went through your mind at the time? I was definitely very hopeful when I first heard about the trial and was really looking forward to hearing what would happen with it. 
um, I was definitely thinking about what kinds of doors this trial would open for future justice efforts. How was that for you, Asr? Um, uh, very similar to you. I had been, um, you know, there was this time when we heard about the arrest being made and um, everyone was talking about it, but then I kind of um, forgot about it for a while. I guess I was focusing more on uh, what was happening inside the country. And then the trial started and it was, I think, that gave uh, a lot of excitement at the time, I would say. And I, I definitely started thinking about justice for crimes committed in Syria in, in new dimensions that I had not thought of before, even during the, at the time, nine years of, of conflict. And I wonder what you expected this trial would do, Noor. I expected a couple of things. Um, I expected and hoped that it would result in convictions. Uh, that's first of all. And secondly, I hoped and expected that um, the information that would come out through this trial would result in furthering future justice efforts. And by that, I mean information coming out in the trial about other individuals who were implicated in crimes who might also be present in Europe. Um, information that might shed light on the regime strategies, for example, um, and I also expected and hoped that it would give uh, survivors of alleged crimes committed by Anwar R and also by Iyad A uh, some level of peace, some level of comfort. Um, I Through our interviews with people, I know that that didn't necessarily happen for everyone, but I hope that it could have been positive for some people at least. Yes, I mean, I, I actually didn't know what to expect at the beginning beyond, uh, for example, a verdict or a conviction, uh, a few years for, of prison for everyone, um, should the accusations against them be proven. Uh, what I didn't expect is, is seeing so, so much more to this trial, um, like the, the aspects of documentation of, of crimes against humanity generally in Syria and um, the wider picture of, of the Mukhabarat and its work and its the meaning of its being uh, mentioned in testimonies for the first time in an international court. Fritz and Salim and Hannah have all been to Koblenz during the production of this season. And um, Fritz, you were there with Salim and Hannah during uh, also one of the most important and controversial um, and milestone sessions of the Koblenz trial. And I wanted to ask you, um, what was it like to be there in Koblenz? And was it really how you expected it to be? Just one sort of observation that I wanted to to uh, to make about that first visit, I thought was was so interesting was these was this contrast between the the you know the global media attention the the the, the amount of media attention from international outlets, um, the the framework of the trial, the content of the trial with international crimes, crimes against humanity, torture all these sort of international aspects and, and elements. But then the contrast with being in this relatively provincial German town, um, and, and I talked to some locals also on the street, and, and, you know, pretty much nobody had an idea of what was going on in that courthouse. And that, that, that contrast is really also what I, what I remember about that, first, uh, about that first visit, where, you know, the trial was happening there, but really it was 
more happening only physically, you know, more it was it was more happening in a sort of international, global, um, digital, maybe even, yeah, framework of of of, uh, of interested people. But Hannah, you you were really there from from the beginning. Um, every session, uh, how was it? How, you know, what's your memory of of those of those beginning uh, days and weeks? Well, I have to say, now that I've been there for almost a year, uh, almost every week, actually traveling back and forth and spending two or three days there, I've gotten so used to it, um, and I've developed my routine, and I know almost everybody who works in the court, and like there's a small group of people who's always there, some observers from NGOs, uh, once in a while a journalist. Um, but I do remember that at the very beginning I was. Um, much more nervous because a court seems something so official and you don't know how to behave and you don't know what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. Uh, that has changed completely now. Like now I feel it's my, um, it's almost my office, <laughs> but at the same time, <laughs> you know, at the same time, I feel like it's really important for me to not become too used to it and not become uh, indifferent because even though I've heard so many survivors now and their stories, and of course there's been many testimonies about like really horrible um, torture experiences. Yeah, so after all these days I've spent in court, I just feel like it's important to not become desensitized and not feel like, oh, it's, you know, I know some some of the observers and me, sometimes we talk and we talk about what we heard inside and someone's like, uh, well, what about this testimony that we heard today? Was it important? And then someone says, uh, well, no, it was nothing new, but of course it was something new, you know, just because someone had, didn't add a very new piece of evidence, it's still really important to, um, to respect every single story. So, um, yeah, I think that's my experience, you know, getting used to it, but at the same time being surprised every once in a while by, by the stories that people share in the courtroom. For me, actually, this was, uh, this was the first time I, um, I go to Koblenz and it was for the, for the trial and for the verdict of, uh, Yad A. I think, um, it was it was very interesting because uh, usually I work on the production um, side and this was for me the first encounter uh, with with the reality of what's what's happening. It's like a, a reality check. Like this is uh, two times more than what happens uh, when we just make the podcast episode or when I uh, work on the um, biweekly updates with uh, with Hannah. But for me, really, what what struck me the most is that I I really felt that the place was owned by uh, Syrians, uh, and although it was happening in Germany, the sense of Syrians and the sense of people being there and the trial being covered uh, or translated also to uh, to Arabic, uh, the verdict, really gave me that sense of that this is this actually feels very uh, Syrian and. Um, this this emotion translated also later on, which is something that I'm gonna also uh, talk about later on about the um, the Syrian voices that we had uh, after um, after the court and also uh, in the in the in the rest of the episodes for the for the rest of the podcast. I remember being outside and looking for for people or waiting for people to um, to interview them for uh, for our podcast. And I took a moment and I was looking and literally everyone was looking for Syrians to talk to them uh, and to, to take their opinion and to, to capture their emotions and feelings at that uh, very moment. 
and it, it just this image will always uh, stay in my head that this is um, this is something for the Syrian people I think um, of course um, the the opinions differ and um, every person or every group of people have their own uh, views on on what's happening or what was the decision and all of these uh, things but the moment itself uh, the exact moment uh, was very Syrian and that's for me was um, a very emotional moment. Wow, thank you so much, um, Selim. And we do want to hear more about um, those voices that and the dual experience of, of um, talking to them and hearing from them. I guess this is a good point to talk, um, you know, all of us about how one year later, those expectations have lived up to reality. And um, Noor, maybe I'll start with you. Sure. Um... I think the trial has so far lived up to my expectations in the sense that um, obviously there was a verdict uh, in the case against Iyad A and the case against Anwar R is still ongoing. I also think that the trial and everything around it has ended up being a little bit more complicated than I expected. Um, one thing being, as you mentioned earlier, Asir, the, the documentation element of this, the trial resulting in in sort of a documentation of crimes against humanity in Syria beyond just uh, Enwar R and Iyad A's role in it. Um, so I think that's one aspect of it. Another element has been kind of realizing the complication of universal jurisdiction and realizing that um, while it might be a good way to hold people accountable in a complicated setting, there are also complications that come with universal jurisdiction, one being the, the fact that the trial is held in Koblenz, Germany, which is a place that sort of, um, for those of you who attend, who attended the trial and were there, you felt a very international presence. Um, but I think location-wise, it's not necessarily accessible to so many Syrians. And then also one thing that's been discussed a lot is the language issue in the trial as well. I do think that the trial has lived up to my expectations in the sense that um, in the sense that it is pushing justice forward. However, um, definitely I'm realizing that universal jurisdiction is is a bit more complex than I originally anticipated. Yeah, I think, Noor, um, it's it's good for us to to mention uh, those challenges as well, because obviously a worldwide first trial will have major expectations, um, undefined perhaps in the beginning, um, and will come with um, with the obvious challenges. And um, I think one one thing we can definitely already conclude now is that you know a regional court in Germany trying an international um, crime case like that is is not perfect um it's far from perfect it's you know these regional courts are are not the international criminal court in the hague they don't have the same uh the same resources the same capacities um and um that i i don't see how in this german context how 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 that will really change um uh whether that will whether that will change whether there will be um many lessons learned uh, for for future trials in similar regional courts uh, in Germany especially when we're looking back at we you know we did a we did an episode on this in the in the first season um comparing this trial with the first um trial on using the german uh, code of uh, crimes against international law 
And um, we didn't see many lessons learned between then, around 2009, 10, and, and, and the Koblenz court. So I don't have too high hopes in that regard. One thing I quickly wanted to add as well is, um, and, and, and that's also one of the things that, that has been a major part of the challenges, and I would like to hear from, from Hannah about that too, because I think, Hannah, you wrote about that in Der Spiegel, is um, the, the, the issue of witness protection. Right, witness protection is 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 a, has been a major challenge, um, and it's it's one of those things that a regional courts such as the one in Koblenz may not be um, uh, well enough equipped to to handle um, in a in a satisfactory uh, way. Um, before I want to hand over to Hannah, I just wanted to quickly note, and we can put this in the show notes. Um, there's an interesting report that um, SJAC and the ICWC. Um, just published on the on the occasion of the one year anniversary on um, on these mostly on these challenges. Um, we'll we'll link that um, we'll link to that report in the show notes. But Hannah, you um, you know more about this 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 issue of of witness protection. Perhaps you can you can add something um, to this. Uh, yeah, well, actually, the the witness protection issue was, of course, just one of many challenges that that became more and more visible as the trial proceeded. So it's interesting that you mentioned also the ICC in comparison to what's what's happening in Koblenz. And I also felt that when we're speaking about expectations, I felt that, you know, I imagined that the court in Koblenz and the trial would be something like very international, very grand, uh, something like the ICC, although I've never been to the ICC, but I imagine it like that. And that it would be international in several languages, that it would be recorded for history and all that hasn't happened. So it has not been internationally accessible. It has not been multilingual. It has not been allowed to, to be recorded. And um, I felt at a very early point that I felt that it was an issue that the that an international trial was being conducted under the German Code of Criminal Procedure. So as in every other local everyday criminal trial in Germany that there were no additional rules that were specific for an, uh, a trial of this size and this international um, relevance. So exa for example, the, the witness protection that wasn't there because obviously Germany can't do anything about um, threats or attacks in Syria. Of course, they can offer witness protection in very exceptional cases in Germany, but the danger wasn't in Germany, it was mainly in Syria for families of witnesses who were still living there. And almost every single witness has family living in Syria. So there was no support in that regard. And there was no real support for traumatized uh, witnesses. I mean, there was psychosocial um, trial assistance. That's, that's something that victims can have. But I don't think they knew about it because nobody used it. And a lot of uh, witnesses were struggling emotionally in court. And I think they would have needed special um, assistance and you know there was there were so many things that I felt like okay th th this is a very local court and it's a very international trial so they're not really um, fitting well together. We spoke during the podcast during this season about also the expectations of Syrians and of many Syrians about this trial and um, 
some were saying that they were let down. They have been let down so far by um, the outcome of the trial. I'm here referring specifically to the verdict that's already been issued against Iyad A. And that sparked quite a lot of discussions and um, even arguments within the Syrian circles. And um, there were so many different opinions about this um, in these discussions. Some saw that the trial is actually meeting their expectations or even exceeding them in some cases, whereas some others were very critical, actually, of what has been the outcome um, so far. Yeah, I I think Aser, um, especially from my interaction with uh, with uh, with the Syrian people that we interviewed for the podcast for the Arabic season, and also for the people that I talked to uh, when we were in Koblenz, I think actually it's it's not just that peop- some people have hopes or some people uh, feel positive about it and some other people feel negative. In fact, and especially after doing the um, the final episode. Um, for the for the season, um, for the Arabic season, um, m- many many people uh, had uh, both uh, uh, like uh, high hopes and low hopes when it comes to the trial. So within each person, there was both um, like both side uh, both sides existed, and that for me was really interesting to see that. Um, in fact, yeah, it's not just uh, black uh, and white, and it's not just either fully accepting or fully uh, supporting the trial or fully um, like uh, being against it or something. Um, I think that the, the most remarkable thing or the thing what what I can collect from, uh, from the people that we interviewed is that everyone felt that it's a step towards uh, justice. And uh, the word justice meant uh, so much to the fact that it's actually happening and there's actually something... Um, something is taking place uh um so yeah the 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 word justice was the word that um everyone almost every person who uh we interviewed or shared their voice and their opinion with us um recalled and i think that means um that means something for the trial it might not be um it's in my opinion it's not uh the only answer and it doesn't have to be the one answer but um, it is something that exists within the trial and it's taking, uh, almost everyone agreed that it's going to take us to the next step. It's the beginning of something that is going to uh, be much bigger in the future. So yeah, I think it's uh, it's really, it just means that uh, everyone is hoping for what's is, what is going to come next uh, and not just relying on this uh, as a final uh, result or as a final uh, outcome. And I thought that was uh, really interesting. And you, Noor, what do you think um, this trial means or has meant to other Syrians? I think uh, I agree with a lot of what Salim said. I think we've seen a lot of hope from people that we've interviewed, but we've also seen a lot of skepticism. And I think for a lot of Syrians, it's hard not to be skeptical. because I think there's been so much, for so many Syrians, they've been so let down by the international community. And I think that they find it difficult to trust um, international mechanisms, international efforts. So I can understand that. Um, But there's been also a lot of hope. And um, I think that also goes for the verdict against Iyad A, um, because there are also so many mixed... um, 
responses to that as well. Some people were really happy with the results. Some were disappointed. Uh, some were dissatisfied. So um, I think there's definitely a mix. But uh, one thing for sure is that we've seen a lot of hope, even if people were disappointed in this trial in particular, they're hopeful that it will lead to justice in the future. And what does it mean to you, Noor? For me, I think I feel the same way that a lot of Syrians do, which is I'm, I'm feeling hopeful. And I also very much feel that this is a first step toward future accountability efforts. Um, I definitely don't see this trial as the ideal form of accountability, but it's a step in the right direction. And it's a step that's going to bring out important information that needs to be shared with the world. And it's also a step that's going to encourage others to take similar steps and to use international law to be creative about um, accountability efforts. Hannah, what is something most people don't know or don't get about the trial? I definitely feel like maybe something most German or European people don't understand about the trial is how differently uh, Syrians are perceiving the trial. So Syrians, not just in general, but even those who are like very directly and personally affected and who are themselves survivors or family members of victims. I think you all mentioned this earlier that, you know, there's so much criticism. Some people feel that it's going very well. Others feel that there are a lot of flaws in the trial. Others are not following it at all or don't care about it at all. And I feel like this is something that wasn't well represented in German media. It always seemed that there was like this one narrative of the German state bringing justice to the Syrians who are so grateful and happy that they, you know, finally um, uh, get the chance to talk. And I'm sure, like, I'm not saying that in a derogative way. Of course, there were uh, a lot of Syrians who were very, very grateful that they were able to talk about what happened to them and they really felt respected. And, and that's totally important. I agree. But I just think that it's important to see how many different opinions there are and how, especially after the verdict, when you followed Arabic media, there were so many articles that had all the diverse opinions about the verdict uh, in one long article. And I felt that this was something really missing from the from the German and, and English um, media landscape. Yeah, if I can just quickly jump in here, Asa, if that's all right. I, I wanted to um I wanted to add something that I think a lot of people don't understand. It 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 is it is in the same in the, it is in the same sort of field of of, um, of what Hannah just described as well, but it's also something that that I don't fully understand, and I wanted to 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 bring it up here and and um, maybe also ask ask the question back to you, Asser. Um and that is after the verdict um, against EIA that Hannah also just described. In front of the courtroom, we we witnessed. A lot of different moments and a lot of different sort of um, dynamics at play. Uh, Salim was uh, describing some of them earlier, and one that really left an impression on me uh, that I wanted to um, try to describe here um, is seeing the different Syrians interact with each other after the verdict from, if you want to call it, that way, the different sides. And what I mean with that is 
Ed's family was there, his his cousin and and his son. And to me, it was absolutely fascinating to see how how they were interacting as well with the other Syrians that were present in the court and 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 outside of the courtroom. Um, especially two moments. One of the moments was where Iyad A's son was talking with a young Syrian activist who was protesting her father's disappearance in Syria. Uh, she was protesting in front of the court. And um, after the verdict, uh, she was talking with Iyad A's son. And I didn't understand what they were saying as they were talking in Arabic. But uh, from what I gather, that you know, they, they were exchanging stories. You know, Iyad A's son was saying how difficult it was for him to deal with the situation that his father was was imprisoned for 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 something that you know they they don't agree with he should be um he should be held accountable for and um and she was describing how she hasn't seen her father in 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 thousands of of days you know um i felt that was incredibly um complex and and powerful and then the second moment um that that was similar but also very different in 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 many ways is as Yet A's cousin and, and son were were leaving, um, you know, the scene in front of the court. They were talking to some of the Syrian um, justice activists and 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 case builders, Anwar Albuni and 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 some people that were 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 standing with him. And they were very friendly with each other, uh, laughing and smiling and even hugging uh, goodbye as they were leaving. And it, you know. Uh, Obviously, things are not black and white, and obviously, things are never binary and 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 uh, and good guys and bad guys. You know that I, I, I get that, but in that moment, it it was it was uh, it, it took me a moment to, and still, uh, I, I think about that um, to 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 reconcile how how those um, relationships um, work and 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 what those moments meant. And I'd love to hear your. Um, your your reaction uh, to that, your your take on that, Asr. Maybe, um, yeah, if if you have something to say about that. Of course, I mean you're absolutely right, and um, things aren't black and white. We um, most people regarded the case of Yad A as much less significant than than Anwar R because he was um, not as senior in the Syrian Muhabarat. There aren't that uh, many accusations leveled against him in comparison with Anwar A. And people are generally keeping their eyes on the verdict against Anwar A. But what we didn't anticipate from the beginning, or at least I didn't anticipate from the beginning, is how the Iyad A case would be much more controversial in in that case, because we saw that there were so many divergent views. I also got to hear from someone whose father is um, in until today in Syrian regime prisons, who actually said she sympathized with Iyad A and with his case and um, found it uh, really touching. She did not think that he uh, was, she did not think that he deserved to be made or put in this place of being the symbolic first person to be um, convicted of aiding and abetting crimes against humanity in Syria. Obviously, many people did not agree with her and said that actually um, the verdict uh, against Iyad A was um, not, not, you know, not very satisfactory and that they wanted more, that he, ate, that he took part in crimes that um, were on a very great scale in their view and he deserved more than that. 
and many found it um, that he deserved getting exactly what he got. So um, we got to see that even in the lines of the opposition or people who are aligned with the opposition, uh, the views were very divergent, which shows that, yes, it is not black and white, mm. as you say. And and that that moment between Iyad's family members and and uh, someone like Anwar Abuni, who's so clearly, you know, a symbol also um, for 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 the justice efforts and the accountability efforts, um, such a scene of, of of friendliness and and of amicability. What, what does that say to you? I have seen that actually. I um, I was surprised. I remember my surprise years ago when. I started to hear about, um, for example, rebel or opposition checkpoints being stationed very close to Syrian regime checkpoints, that they get to know each other and drink tea together and um, exchange greetings every morning or every evening. And this was happening in several areas in Syria. Many people were reporting on this. And they know that they're on different sides. They know that one day they will probably get orders to shoot against each other or go into battles with one another. But but um, as long as those commands didn't come, they were able to recognize certain aspects of humanity in, in each other. And I got to see, I remember a scene I saw one day when um, people were evacu being evacuated from a formerly rebel-held neighborhood in Homs in central Syria, when um, a Muslim cleric came out and before he went onto the bus that was supposed to take him to the north, he saw the pro-regime Muslim cleric and they recognized each other. They would, they'd been friends or they'd known each other for years and they went and hugged each other and kissed each other on the cheeks before they bid farewell and the opposition person uh, went to the north. And these scenes that we see repeatedly just show you that um, maybe at first they're hard to, to comprehend um, but then you realize that yes, it, it is not as simple as that. Um, yeah, and 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 what it really showed to me as well was that in this very concrete situation that I observed, you know, eventually they are both suffering. Uh, both both of those quote unquote groups are suffering from from the same thing, which is which is Assad's uh, tyranny and, and Assad's regime. Um, in German, in German, you have this word called Schicksalsgemeinschaft community of, of fate or destiny uh, that that's the word that sort of came to me after reflecting on this a, a little further and um, well I you know and you 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 called it um, shared moments of humanity and I think that's I think that's spot on we really uh, we really uh, sort of dove deep now into <laughs> into this kind of stuff but um, I just uh, I thought I, I I mentioned it because it's something that was has been on my mind, and I think it's something that a lot of people don't understand about this about this trial and about the complexities and the the gray zones involved. You know, absolutely, absolutely. I want to ask, I want to put the question out there and hear about um, everyone's favorite episodes. I actually don't know this, um, even though I'm a member of the team. I don't think we've had a uh, behind the scenes discussion about it. And uh, I'm really keen on, on knowing the answers of, of um, all my team members. Um, maybe I'll start with you, Fritz. What was your favorite episode or the one that you thought was more, most significant? I think uh, of this season, you're putting me on the spot here. I didn't think about it, but I will go for the one where we collected voices from Syrians inside of Syria and outside of Syria uh, on the trial. I think that was in terms of 
um, in terms of content and and approach, uh, and also you know our what we wanted to present to the listeners with it. I think that was probably the most the most valuable um, episode of 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 this season. And um, just want to give compliments to my colleagues that were involved in in producing that. Um, we all contributed to it, but um, that was really, I think, um, a great episode. I actually want to uh, channel what you're saying, uh, Fritz, because um, for me also the episodes were, um, because especially in the Arabic uh, season, actually, uh, the first season of the Arabic uh, podcast, we had really a lot of uh, Syrian voices uh, from the trial to people who reached out to us to the final episode to the specialists who talked about um, specific uh, topics that we discussed uh, in the season. I feel like I can't just name one episode, but I would say that the episodes where we um, where we listened uh, to uh, the, to Syrian people and uh, to Syrian voices these for me felt really powerful. And I want to, to say that uh, the reason is not just because of what um, the episode uh, had in it, but um, the communication with um, with the listeners or with uh, with the Syrian people outside of the um, outside of the podcast before when they were still sending their uh, their recordings. I felt like there was really a lot of uh, trust and a lot of uh, hopes on the on the podcast itself. And that moment felt so special for me because um, it, it was like showing me that, okay, we're doing this and it's actually reaching um, the, the very uh, people that we actually wanted to make this Arabic uh, season for. And it, it felt really like a reward. And uh, from the messages and from the way people expressed um, the emotions toward the podcast and then later on uh, sharing their opinion about the trial and the verdict, and um, what's happening generally uh, in Syria? I feel like um, it's 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 a it's a big uh, journey, and it's not just what relies uh, inside of the episode, but also what uh, what happens in the backstage, which is something that is always going to be for us, I guess, uh, team members. Hannah, what was your favorite episode? I would say my favorite episode was the one on mental health, the Arabic episode, because um, I think it's a topic that's totally under-discussed. I think so many uh, Syrians in Germany would really need uh, therapy or, you know, any kind of uh, support dealing with traumatic memories and experiences. At least that's what was very obvious in the courtroom from the witnesses who talked there. And of course, the language barrier makes that pretty difficult here in Germany. So I think it was just great to hear from these initiatives uh, that were presented in the episode. Paulina, I suppose we haven't heard from you yet. What was your favorite episode? Um, this is such a hard question, right? Um, in every episode, there's something that you're really proud of. Um, and that can be something as small as smoothing out a recording mistake to the point that it's completely imperceptible or it can be finding the music that fits the script perfectly or it can be an interview that you've conducted before the recording and then of course there's the fact that I learned so much about Syria and justice efforts just because I get to work with such competent colleagues as yourselves um, as well as very inspiring guests so 
yeah, it's a it's a hard one. Um, but I guess the f- the first episode I got to help make has a very special place. Um, it was the episode about Syria fatigue back in season one. But other than that, I think overall my favorite episode was also actually the one that was the hardest to make. Um, and that's the episode about sexual and gender-based violence. They pay twice. It appeared in both the English and the Arabic season. And um, yeah, I just felt very, very honored, I guess, to be in charge of an episode that felt so important and urgent. Well, you know, I came to this recording session aiming to say that my favorite episode is They Pay Twice. But um, and it still is for sure one of my favorites. But I was also thinking that, um, and you said this, um, an episode being very difficult to make. And I think um, we at the at the Arabic series team have really struggled with the episode that had to deal with the tenth anniversary of the Syrian revolution. Um, it was very hard. I found it very hard myself because it was. Um, a month that for me and for so many Syrians around the world, it was very difficult to look back and reflect on those 10 years and um, on all that we've lost um, on a personal or on a kind of national level. But um, that ended up driving us to try something new. Um, and for me and Noor to, to be speaking, to, to be answering questions that we've posed uh, to one another and um, to share how we actually are feeling and um, stuff from uh, the, our discussions with other Syrians and try to convey the atmosphere as best as we could. And I think that made it into a very special episode after uh, after a time when I was you know, dreading it really and dreading making it for the long time. Um, and this brings me to you, Noor. Um, what was your favorite episode? Asr, now you're making me question my favorite episode because now bring you bringing up how we got a, how we arrived at our decision to record that episode in the way we did makes me really appreciate it even more and reminds me how much, like you said, I was also kind of dreading working on that episode, but then I really enjoyed it when we did. But I think if I did have to choose, my favorite episode would probably be What's Choice. Um, I really enjoyed working on that one and doing the background research. And I also thought that it answered a really important question that was on, that was in the back of my mind when I started reading about this trial and also is on the back of a lot of other people's minds, which is regarding the question essentially of choice and how much of a choice did Iyad A or Anwar R have in making the decisions they made uh, considering the environment that they worked in. And so I really enjoyed Um, being able to dissect that in that episode in the way that we did. Well, thanks, everyone. I think we've got this and I really enjoyed these conversations. I hope that um, our listeners have enjoyed it as well. And we will leave you here to wait for us in the third season of Branch 251. See you then.
Branch 251 is a 75 Podcasts production. This episode was hosted by Asad Khatab. You heard Fritz Streif, Noor Hamade, Salim Salame, Hannah El Hitami, and myself, Pauline Pick. Production, editing, and mixing by Pauline Pick. Support for our podcast comes from German Federal Foreign Office Funds that are provided by IFA's Civic Funding Program. And welcome to the world, little Oskar Zizu Streif. Michael Barbaro, if you're listening, congratulations to you too.